really seek after a burden. You have to be driven by a burden. You gotta, mm. That's how it started. I asked Lord for the burden because I, when we were doing altar work, I was, I was seeking the Lord and said, Lord, I don't want to do. I don't want to pray for the sake of praying for people. You know, I want my prayers to impact people, and I and I, and I was really sincere with that, really sought after the Lord, and then He laid it upon my heart and directed me. What greater impact can you have than people receive the gift of the Holy Ghost? Mm. But even if you know if they've got if they've already got the Holy Ghost, but pray into their lives, you know, because I've heard many of your interviews and a lot of them. A lot of your interviews, you know, people have testified how one prayer, someone prayed for them. That's how powerful our, mm-hmm. the right prayer at the right time can make that kind of influence. And that's what I was seeking the Lord for. I just want to make it like, I don't mind praying for people. I want to pray for people, but I want that kind of impact mm-hmm. where it changes the whole trajectory of someone's life. Welcome to the Hacker Podcast. My name is Greg Hackathorn. I hope you all are doing well. This past weekend, my wife and I celebrated our 12-year wedding anniversary. It's hard to believe that it has been 12 years already and 13 years of living in Australia, but time flies when you're married to your favorite person in the entire world. I know a number of you have been asking if she'll be back on the podcast and things are in the works to get her back on here if I can afford her. But uh, no, we look forward to having her back on in a few weeks. Well, today we are blessed to be joined by one of my good friends, Sam Rainima. Sam is a minister and evangelist with the UPCA. Along with that, he serves on the Home Missions Committee of the United Pentecostal Church of Australia. He is a wonderful preacher, and he is a man who is led by the Spirit. I'm excited to share this conversation with you today. But before we get to it, I want to encourage you to share this with a friend, if you get something out of it, and allow it to bless them too. Also, if you have time to rate and review the show, I would greatly appreciate that as it provides me feedback and it makes it easier for new listeners to discover the show. I also wanted to mention that we are on Instagram and Facebook. I hadn't mentioned that for a while, so I thought I would plug it here today. We are looking at providing unique content there along with keeping you updated with any changes to the show that we might be making. So I encourage you to connect with us there on Facebook and Instagram. Now that that's taken care of, let's get to my conversation with Sam Rainima. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having us, bro. It's um, yeah, it's just it's good to be here, and um, I've got to say I'm pretty proud of you, bro, and and and, and the podcast that, and what you're doing and the content you're uploading. It's uh, we do love a good podcast, <laughs> you know, and it's um, it's been really encouraging. It really has. So thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you for your kind words. This is the first one that we've been able to do in person. We figured out a two mic setup, so yeah. hopefully the sound comes through and, yeah. and people appreciate that. That's it. This is a, a, a milestone. So when your podcast takes off, you can just reflect <laughs> on this moment and be like, thanks, Brother Sam, for helping. <laughs> That's it. Taking us to the next yeah. level. Yeah. We're on a whole nother level here. Yeah. Amen. Well, as you can tell, we're joined here by Sam and. He's a great guy. We've been good friends for a long time and uh, grateful to have him on the podcast. And as someone who listens to the podcast, you know that how we start this off, we like to get a bit of background about the person who's joining us just to get a feel for sort of where you come from, your worldview, that sort of thing. So if you wouldn't mind sharing with us uh, a bit about your background and and, uh, how you grew up. Sure. I was uh, born and raised in Sydney, Australia, and uh, my parents are originally from 
from Fiji. Yeah, had a good upbringing. My 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 parents were really hard workers. My dad worked as a bus driver for, for decades at Waverley Depot. You know, some of my fond memories growing up was spending the day with him. I thought he was taking me to work. I think they just didn't have a babysitter for the day so <laughs> to take me to work. But it was really, you know, it was really awesome. I have one older brother, uh, one younger brother, one older sister. And, um, yeah, just, you know, good upbringing. Uh, my dad was a Methodist. Mm-hmm. Um, my mum, devout Catholic. Growing up, uh, in my primary school years, my time was kind of split between the two churches. Okay, yeah. yeah so I grew up like, you know. So you go to both the Methodist church yeah, and the Catholic it was a, church. Well, the Methodist church was a, was a Fijian congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, the Catholic church, we also had a Fijian community there that we were very close to. Um, a lot of first-generation migrants, they really stuck together. The Fijians really stuck together. So growing up, I was between the two churches. Brother mm-hmm. Mo remembers me when I was... Um, really young in the in the Methodist church, and you know I was too young to remember, you know him. But was, was his was his dad the pastor there? Well, his dad was a Methodist, not at that church. Okay, but he was a Methodist um, pastor. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, very respected man. So m- most of my primary school years was split between the two until I got into high school. And my dad was actually pretty close to the Fijian Catholic community. Mm-hmm. Um, funny story, like. He was a Methodist, and they voted him to be the chairman of the Fijian Catholic community. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> just because he was just really close with them yeah. and, and, and good friends with them. And my dad would later convert to Catholicism. Mm-hmm. My dad's a practicing Catholic now. So, But growing up, yeah, I was split between the two. But I've got to say, like, my mom was a little bit more diligent in uh, teaching me the Catholic ways. And I think my dad just went to church to drink kava. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, Brought up, I went to all the Catholic schools, and you know, that was going to be my next question. Yeah, you grew up in Catholic schools as yeah. well, obviously. Yeah, so like like I said, my parents worked really hard to make sure that they sent me to you know um, good schools, and I had a great education. High school years, I obviously took that for granted, and you know we can, I guess, touch on that later. But <laughs> <laughs> but um, my mom tried her best to teach me how to pray even though it was we know now that it was like vain repetition but mm. still it was drilled into me you know i can still kind of recite those prayers today that's how much it was ingrained in me mm. growing up so even though you know it wasn't of the truth I, it from a young age i was believed in god didn't realize i can have an understanding like a relationship i can have today but but you know she tried her hardest you know i, I remember growing up I think the Pope was coming to Sydney when I was like 11 years old. Uh, he was flying in at five o'clock in the afternoon and my mum made us wait at Sydney airport from four o'clock in the morning. Oh my to get goodness. From, yeah, so it's like borderline child abuse now <laughs> I mean, when I look back on it, but that's how kind of dedicated she mm. was. Yeah, so. yeah, and as uh, Bishop Slack would always say that Catholics make uh, some of the best Pentecostals. Yeah, so. exactly, exactly. So that was kind of like my upbringing. I grew up in Sydney which is kind of in a, in a city, I would say, you know, maybe in the West, but grew up there for most of my life. You know, kind of interesting story. I thought that this was I always been, like this story always amazes me. It's probably a miracle that I'm even in Australia, right? So a lot of people may not know, but my my dad 
you know, he was living in Fiji. He was working on this ship that uh, transported gas. And this ship just happened to be coming into Melbourne, to Australia. And the role that he had, he had to monitor, like, pressure gauges in the lower deck. And if there was anything abnormal, he had to report it upstairs. Mm-hmm. So he was working a graveyard shift. And he fell asleep. Oh. And it's zero tolerance. So the captain's waking him up, sacked on the spot. So they book his ticket from Melbourne to Fiji. One-way ticket. Go back home. A guard transports him to the airport. He checks in, checks in his bag. And then doesn't the guard says, okay, see you later. And then my dad doesn't go to the gate straight away. He just stands outside the airport. Wait, so you guys are in Sydney? This is Melbourne. This is my dad. This is before I'm even oh, born. Oh, before you were born. Okay. Before I was even okay. born. All right. So my dad's waiting. This is 1975. This yeah. is before I'm born. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Um, so he's waiting at the front. A driver pulls up and says, do you want to lift? Um, and my dad doesn't, you know, he's not thinking about jumping his plane, like missing his flight. But he just, for some reason, jumped in the car. The guy drops him off at Central Station in Melbourne. My dad doesn't know anyone. His bag's at the airport. He's got no money. doesn't know anyone in Australia. Finds himself on a train to Sydney. No way. And then he's just walking around the city, clueless. And he's so fresh <laughs> that he sees a no standing sign and starts to jog. Like he thinks <laughs> you're not allowed to stand there, right? And so he doesn't know anyone. There's no Facebook. There's no street di- and, um, phone directory. He doesn't know who to call. He just happens to see a cousin of his walking around the city. And the cousin takes him in. And this is September 1975. He takes him in. And Malcolm Fraser was the caretaker prime minister at the time. Mm. And there was an election coming on. And he said, one of my election promises is, campaign promises is, if I'm elected, I will grant amnesty to all illegal immigrants. This is September 1975. He wins the election in December 1975. My dad puts his application. By March next year, he has permanent residency. No way. And a couple of years later, has his Australian citizenship. And here I am. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, so I, he always tells me that story. And I always think I could have been in Fiji, easily been in Fiji. Yeah, did your parents meet in Sydney or did they, they meet? They met in, in, in Sydney, yeah. Oh, they wow. met short, like, shortly after that. Yeah, yeah. that's so, amazing. Yeah, so I was, always think like, what is a coincidence of that? You mm. know, he went back to Fiji. He actually managed when he got his permanent residency. He was able to get that ticket that he um, that he skipped in Melbourne. He they issued him a new one. They said, yeah, no worries. You know, change the date and all, all that. Flew back to Fiji. Said his goodbyes. Everyone thought he was crazy. He should have stayed in Australia. And he's like, what are you talking about? I got my permanent residency. <laughs> Comes back to Australia. Gets his bag as well. <laughs> so yeah, just uh, I think I think it was a miracle that I'm even in Australia. Yeah, and Amen. So you hadn't mentioned yet, and this is just because I'm your friend, so I know this. Your dad is a, a boxing coach, right? He was a boxer, and then he also yeah. was yeah, a boxing was a, coach. Yeah, um, he hasn't boxed. He hasn't coached someone for a few years, but there are some potential boxers that want him to coach him. You know, this year. So um, yeah, but he grew up in the in the seventies and early eighties. There, um, there were a lot of Fijians boxing in Australia. Mm. There was a lot of Fijians. So yeah, he grew up as a boxer. I always grew up around that sport. That's why I kind of loved going to um, work with him because they had a gym and sometimes he'd like smash me in the gym (laughs) (laughs) and stuff like that. So, yeah, I was always, um, boxing was always, um, yeah, I always grew up. I've got a folder at home with all newspaper clippings of him, you know, 
I think he was ranked the uh, number one in Australia, number four in the world in Pan Pacific. Like, oh, uh, wow. Yeah, so he's flown. He's fought in Korea. He's fought. He fought in the same place that Muhammad Ali fought. George Foreman, yeah, no way, so, yeah. So he's he's been he's he's had his. He actually had an opportunity. There was a promoter that wanted him to go to America, in the um in the early eighties, and uh, he was he just missed my mum. My mum was here in Australia. And mm. He was just homesick. He was he was already in Philippines for three months. Oh, okay. And yeah. it's and you know that he's he always kind of reflects on that moment. It was like, could that have been my opportunity? But he, he missed home. So yeah. yeah so it was um. He was he fought Wally Carr, you know. Um, he just you know passed away last year, so he's Wally Carr wrote about him in his book, you know, probably one of the one of the best indigenous boxers in Australia. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. And then, did his love for boxing and and you being involved with that? Did he also did he have the affinity for rugby league as well, or um, did you come by that naturally? No, by I yourself? came back by that naturally. He followed the the you know he was cursed to follow the. Eels, <laughs> but he 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 love he fell in love with the eels at a good time in the eighties, which was the you know the golden era in the seventies and the eighties. You know, so yeah, a long time between drinks, as they say <laughs> for them now. So you you were involved in rugby league. Uh, you played semi professionally, professionally. Yeah, I played junior footy for um, in the South Sydney district. I actually, started off in the St George district. Your oh, team, amen. And then um, I realized uh, I'm not going anywhere in this town. <laughs> so I went to the South Sydney district, yeah. And I played junior reps like Harry Matthews, SG Bourne. You know, I had a stint in Jersey Flag, which was, you know, equivalent to Toyota Cup. So, yeah, I just kind of went down the wrong path and, mm. you know, just kind of hung around the wrong crowd. And, and like I said, my, I had a great upbringing. So it was a lot, a lot of it was me. Your you know, choices, it wasn't yeah. a reflection on on my family in fact like a lot of times I used to get into trouble used to engage in like risky criminal activity the thing that used to go through my mind was whatever you do don't get caught because <laughs> I don't want to bring shame to my family yeah. like you know especially in the Fijian community mm. people like oh you know so and they think that it's because of the parents and it's it's not you know we're, we're all responsible for our own decisions right and I did, like I said I had a great upbringing um, I just chose to go down a dark path so mm. Yeah. So part of your story is that you were born again and you're yeah. part of the church for a little bit and yeah. then then you walked away, you backslid for uh, a few years yeah. and then came back to God. Would you mind sharing with us a bit uh, about that? Maybe how you first came to the Lord and then um, what led to you coming back to God years later? Yeah. So I probably should have put this in my introduction, but I've got two amazing kids. <laughs> <laughs> I've got two amazing kids, uh, 18 and 17, and it was actually their grandmother that would witness to me about the Lord. And I first came to, I went in, when my son was born in 2003, I, we flew him over to Perth to mm-hmm. see Linda Finlay, who's a very faithful member of Brother Simon Butcher's congregation, went over there to visit her and and she invited me to to church service that Sunday you know I was like okay we're staying at a house <laughs> can't get out of this one and uh, but at the time it was brother glass that was pastoring the church so we went there and and I enjoyed it and um actual fact that the night before I was supposed to go to church service I believe I was I was attacked in my in my sleep mm. um I was just getting these horrors and these weird dreams and 
and shakes and sweats and then when i woke up everything was normal but it definitely felt like it was a spiritual oh, attack yeah, the morning for sure so the, this is how stupid the devil is you know he's doing that to discourage you but it was like more like why is he attacking me while I'm going to this church? <laughs> yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Why is he attacking me before I go to this church? I've been to church many services, mm. but I've never been attacked before I go to you know, any of them. Mm-hmm. But why am I getting attacked before this one? So I get to the service. I enjoyed it. This is 2003. I, um, we fly back to Sydney and I tell, well, my ex-wife now, um, and I'll go into that later, but I tell her, you know, I want to go see this church and, and at the time, because of the times was on in Bankstown. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I walked in there in typical Fijian fashion. I turn up at altar call. <laughs> um, but as, as soon as they start singing, my me, my eyes just started to tear up and God was moving and I was just like, what's going on here? And then when we walked out of there, I was like, I've got to go to church the following week. So walked into, it was Grace Tabernacle back then mm. and walked into here and two weeks later, I was filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized that same year and... And um, yeah, so that was 2003. Yeah, so then um, in the Lord for a few years. Oh, I've got to say that those, I was in the Lord for about two years. Right? Mm. So I've got to say, I was working night shifts at the time. So it was very difficult for me to engage in a lot of the church kind of activities, like yeah. connect group. I try to make it to you. <laughs> I make it to youth whenever I called in sick. <laughs> I tried to, uh, you know. So, but it was very hard to kind of engage in one-on-one Bible studies and do, you know. I think the only thing I could have done was on Sundays was the new life journey. Actually, mm-hmm. Brother Muni was my first new life journey teacher. Brother Muni and Brother Everett, <laughs> <laughs> and um, so yeah, and 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 if two thousand five, just a few personal, a few things happened in my personal life that kind of led me away um and then i backslid in 2005 everything fell apart like my marriage fell apart everything fell apart i started in getting into heavier drugs than i you know than before i came to the lord you know drugs that i never thought i'd ever touch you know mm. um drugs that we really looked down upon so yeah i started um you know we're, it was like a perfect storm because as soon as, as soon as, I got out, a very good friend of mine who was locked up for four years, got out as soon as mm. I backslid. So it was like, it was just disaster. You yeah. know, we originally came up with this plan that we would sell ice. We just ended up smoking it for like two years, and Jeez. then yeah, it was just a life of partying for two years, and then I made a decision after that to cut. M- some relationships off you know mm. i had to i had to find a way to break away from that you know i've actually towards the end of that what happened was i started experimenting with heroin oh no yeah and then my friend would open up to me and i would try i would start to share to him about god and what he <laughs> and i and it just convicted him like what am i doing like i, sh- I know what after everything I know, and I know that what I know can help him, yet I'm not in a position to, to help him. Mm. I was like, no, nah, I had to make a decision. Cut myself off. I didn't come to God straight away. I, I just, first thing I decided to do was uh, get back into sports because mm. I loved playing footy. Funny thing it was, there's two years that I, I was out partying and doing all that stuff. I actually registered with football clubs. 
But come Sunday morning, your Sunday when I had to play, like Sunday morning, I was still out mm-hmm. from Thursday. Mm-hmm. So I never played. So first thing I'd done was like, okay, I got to get back into sports, you know, positive environment or better environment than that. Yeah. When I reflect on it, I've, and I've shared this testimony before, what actually happened in 2008, beginning 2008, I registered to play with this club, Maryville, RSL. Okay, this is my junior club. I played with them. I knew every people there. The week before the season started, we had a team meeting and they had to decide whether or not we were going to go on or fold because they were worried that a few players wouldn't turn up and then we'd have to forfeit that there's fines. Mm-hmm. And we had a good number of players there and a lot of the players didn't want to fold. But we did end up deciding folding and a few of us went to another club, Moore Park. So I went there, we had a really good season, but Moore Park happened to sponsor the Australian Fiji Inside. Hmm. And they offered to sponsor me because the Australian Fiji Inside were going to England at the end of the year to play, to do a tour. So they sponsored me, paid for everything. So I went on this tour, but if you know Fijian teams, they're spiritual kind of experiences. So I I started to pray again because we were forced to do devotions (laughs) every morning. But God was, as we started to do our devotions, God started to minister to me again. And uh, I remember coming away from that trip. Junior Rika was on the trip and he was only 17 at the time. Mm. And I remember saying to him, bro, when when I come back to Sydney, I'm going to come back to church. And two weeks after we came back to Sydney, I I walked back through those doors and I've been here ever since, 2008, end of 2008, beginning of 2009. So I feel like, in a way, God disappointed those 18 players and all those stuff. Like, you know, because people, would, we came out of that shed crying and some players mm. wanted to play. We had already been training for some time. But I really felt like God moved all those pieces so that I can be doing this podcast with you. Yeah, he had, you his, I mean? he had his hand on your life. Exactly. No doubt. So. I mean, especially you're getting into these drugs that absolutely destroy lives. And for you to yeah. be able to come to yourself before it ultimately led down that path exactly. i mean obviously god's hand was on your life yeah exactly it's like it's, it's funny that the two years that i was smoking ice i didn't have an issue with it but the moment i just touched everyone once it was like it freaked me out mm. i was like i just thought of my family i was just like uh you know remember how i was saying that when i was used to do crime i used to think don't get caught i yeah. don't want to bring shit that's what i was thinking it's like i don't want to bring i don't want my parents to have a drug addicted Son mm. going around the streets, maybe I don't want to turn into that guy. And yeah, kids as well. Yeah, kids, and I was like, you know, my kids were very, very young, and I thank God. That's only by the grace of God that He really salvaged that my relationship with my children, and now they're in church. And you know, if I had gone down that path, I don't know where they would be. Mm. Because yeah, so yeah, it's quite uh, interesting stories. So. Well, you started coming back. You came back to the POS when I first moved here yeah. I remember that yeah. I think it was probably within a week yeah. of me coming and, and you coming or it was right around the same time I remember that do you remember that when the first time Pastor introduced me to you you probably don't remember no, I, don't, I remember actually. vividly because I remember I, I, it could have been there was an event here it might have been Brother Sam's funeral I'm not sure yeah it probably was so we were yeah. eating before the renovation we were eating, we were eating in, the, in the hallway so obviously I'm just come back so Pastor's connected with me again so we, we we serve our food and we go to go sit at the go in the back corner where sister lil used to have her lollies yeah remember yeah. 
and you were sitting at a table with Sister Steph and Pastor goes, Oh, Sam, he's uh, Sister Steph's boyfriend. Um, Greg, he's just moved over here from the stage. And Steph just went, pulled out a finger. I was like, <laughs> Hello, fiance. <laughs> I'll never forget that. That's why I'd always remember. That. And then he was like, "Oh, sorry, my bad, fiance." That's hilarious. So that was just after you proposed to her. So I always, that's why I'll always remember that because she pulled that ring out so fast. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it was awesome. Oh, we were so young too. I think yeah. we were like nineteen. Yeah, I was like, you look like babies. <laughs> yeah. I still sometimes look like a baby nah, when I shave. Nah, nah. So, um, yeah, you came back to the Lord. You started serving here, growing here at the POS. And then at some point, you're a licensed minister yep. and have been for a number of years now. At some point, you would have felt a call to preach. Yeah, sure. Was that a, a moment, or is this something that was progressive over time while you were developing and growing, you just felt more pulled in that direction? Yeah, you know, I've, I've listened to your past interviews, and there wasn't one specific moment, you know. I, I, I always think it was funny when I hear Brother Daniel Gabriel talk about praying and someone prayed over him and then for the rest of the conference he's looking for their shoes, <laughs> you know, something like that. But I never had an exact moment. I'll just share a quick testimony. When I was 18, right, before I came to God, mm-hmm. and I've shared this before, maybe when I've preached, but one of my best mates, he picked me up from home, 12th of December, the year 2000. He picked me up from home and... We went joyriding in his brother's car. His brother had a Suzuki Vitara. So it was like a four-wheel drive, soft top. We had the it was a summer's day, beautiful day, cruising around the beaches. And um, and then at the end of the in like in the afternoon, my friend lived in Newtown. So we go back to Newtown and he pulls up into a, um, a, a underground car park of a block of flats and he shows me this Subaru Forester and he says to me, this is a car that the boys had just stole a few days ago. What I'll do is I'll drop you back home at Sydenham. I'll come back, drop my brother's car back off in Newtown, grab this stolen car, come back, pick you up. Yeah, cool. So he does that, drops me off. And when he comes to back to pick me up in this Forester, like for whatever reason, I don't answer the front door. And I know he was there because we had other, there's other locals that were walking past their house and he was asking them, oh, do you know where Sam is? Hmm. And um, they didn't know. So he jumped back in the car. He drives about 10, 15 metres. Police spot him and pull chase. So he's in pursuit now. This Police are in pursuit of him. Mm. So he gets on the Prince's Highway in St. Peter's. I have no doubt he's clocking over 151. So he's trying to get away. Car clips him from behind. His car flips seven times and blows up. Oh, my. And I remember... When I met up with a whole bunch of my friends, everyone's crying. They told me what happened. And the first thing that came to my mind was, I should have been in that car. Yeah, you're supposed to be in And I was saved for a reason. That's all I, that's all I thought. Why was I not in that car? Mm. Why, why, why? I didn't know the answer to that question until I really came to God, bro. You know, until I was born again. And I was, you know, and even though despite all everything that I've already shared back now, when I came back 2008, I was like, that's why I wasn't in the car because God has a calling for my life. Mm. So I knew from then I was saved for a reason. God has a purpose for my life. I never felt an exact moment when God called me to ministry, just as I was serving God and I had little opportunities to share, even for five minutes, 10 minutes. 
it was more the the elders and you know pastors and you know sometimes I got an AYM trips and mm-hmm. I only shared for like five minutes, but the pastor would just acknowledge and and speak into my life and um say that they feel they can see the call of God on mm-hmm. my life. Just things like that was just confirmed by the ministry itself. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, and plus uh, there's kind of where I'm from in Fiji. I'm from a a place called Nikelo. And apparently there's like this, they've got a reputation of churning out preachers. So, <laughs> so when I was saved and I'd walk in the house with my Bible, my dad would just always say, oh, another pastor. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's this some reputation, people know how to talk or something like that. But it was never a specific moment, just a gradual, you gradual know, just as I was just serving God, things would open up, pastors and, and leaders, my mentors would just confirm stuff for me. Um, what God was already laying upon my heart gradually. But mm-hmm. yeah, I definitely felt like I've been through a lot, bro. And we don't have time to go through it all <laughs> in this podcast. But there's a lot of things God saved me from mm. that I, I walk away from. I was like, maybe once or twice, but a number of things. I was like, this is not a coincidence, you know. Yeah, of course So not, I felt yeah. from very, very early on, I was saved for a reason. But it wasn't until obviously I came to God, had this full revelation of salvation and um understanding of what kind of relationship you can have with Jesus, then I understood, okay, this is what I'm yeah. saved for. And then ultimately that led you to pursuing that and, and becoming a preacher. What advice would you give a young person? Uh, it doesn't have to be a young person. It could be somebody who is feeling the call of God yep. to go beyond just being a member, an attender, but someone who is wanting to take that next step in developing their ministry and becoming a preacher or becoming someone who is going to take that calling seriously? Well, I'd say the first thing is to just get busy. Just start serving. Put your hands to the plow, whatever it may be. You know, I was probably like, probably got involved in too many things when I first started (laughs) coming to church. I just thought, you know, I was just, I was like in the, the overheads and ushering and just all sorts of like, just whatever I could do because I, you know, I felt like when I first came to God, I wasn't involved enough mm. and it kind of led to me not having that foundation. But you're, so, you're still kind of like that, man. Like you, you do oh. put your hand up whenever uh, I know I've, I've forced you onto a camera once oh, or twice. Yeah. Well, if the, if the need's there, yeah. yeah. You, know, if, you know, it's like, um, this is our church, right? right. You, know, you see a piece of rubbish on the ground, you know, you pick it up. You right. Know? It's like our house as well. Amen. You know? That's right. Yeah, but uh, I would, I would, my advice would be just to, just to get involved in any capacity. Pastor Stan used to talk about this, this principle, and I think it was passed down from the late Bishop Slack. Is you know the open door policy. Just, just walk through doors. It's open. If there's you know wherever there's a need and there's a, there's an opportunity to serve there, serve there. You know, I just start serving mm. in some capacity, and the doors will open up to those ministries. You know, and um, yeah, I've shared this before. Like we often ask people, like, what church do you go to? And we answer, I'll go to this church, I'll go to that. We really should be asking, what church do you serve at? Mm. I serve at this church, I serve at that church. If we can't honestly answer that question like that, then that means we're not getting busy for the kingdom, you know? Mm. So there's so many people that have so much potential. Before we think about the pastoring and, 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 you know, maybe being an evangelist or a missionary, like we've got to do the little things first mm. and those okay. doors will open up and that will be confirmed by your pastor, um, mentor, spiritual leaders that you have in your life. But sometimes we can dream about the greater things before we even do the small things. Man. 
Yeah, and that that has been a consistent answer to that question. I like asking that question to the ministers that come on the podcast because I'm interested into what they say, and it Mm. it seems to be something that is reiterated time and time again to get busy, start doing what you can right now, and, and don't focus so much on the future. Yes, you do have a future. Yes, there is an ultimate call that God would want you to do, but we can't get so focused on down the road that we miss out on everything that we can do now, which can have an incredible impact on the world. Yeah, exactly. And if we're, we're part of the, the National Evangelist Evangelism Program, right? So, you know, we, we, we travel and we preach. I'll tell you right now, I don't even know how, how I ended up in this program. <laughs> it's just from serving, mm. you know, just serving God. And just I have no idea. Honestly, Dad, I'm just like, should my name even be on that <laughs> list? But it's just because we've been, and these are the doors that God just opens mm. and, and, and just happens organically, you know, um, yeah. as you serve in God, yeah. Well, uh, that leads us nicely to what we want to talk about next. You are an evangelist, and, and I believe the reason that is, on top of your ability to preach, you're a good mm-hmm. preacher, but on top of your ability to preach and to communicate, I believe you have a special gifting when it comes to seeing people filled with the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know about the other people who attend this church, but when I see you go pray for someone in the altar, I, it's almost uh, signed, sealed, yeah. delivered. You know, that person's yeah. going to get filled with the Spirit. What do you look for when praying for people to receive the Holy Spirit, to receive the Holy Ghost? What is it that, that you look for when you are praying for people in the altar? Yeah, um, good question, bro. Um, I've got to say from the from the outset, though, and for those that are listening that may be kind of moving in that area or desiring to get into altar work and specifically praying people for the Holy Ghost, it doesn't matter how much I pray, how much I read the Word, how much I fast. If that person's not ready to receive the Holy Ghost, they're not going to receive mm. His Spirit, right? When Sister Steph was pregnant with Reagan, if a midwife knocked on your door when she was four months pregnant and said, okay, I'm ready to deliver this baby. <laughs> now, unless she's gone through the, you know, the, the water breaks and contract and all that stuff that clearly shows that she's in labor and yeah. the baby's not, you're not going to deliver any baby. Right. So I just, my word of advice to people that want to operate in this area is, you laying on your hands on, on people, they don't receive the Holy Ghost because you lay hands on them. But your consecration helps you discern who's ready. Mm. Who's that's already good. ready. That's really good. You know, that's what your consecration does. It helps you discern who's ready. And and we just go in there and help guide and, and direct and give a little bit of counsel there. But what I'm looking for is faith. Mm. Obviously, it's faith. And, and just for my experience of praying people through the Holy Ghost... Faith can manifest itself differently and subtly. Mm. So that's what I'm trying to like watch out for, trying to observe. You see me walking around, mm. I walk around because I'm trying to like look at someone's face. Are they crying? Are they, <laughs> can they feel the presence of God? Like, you know, because um, God's also given us all our five senses and through these senses, he, he speaks to us as well. Mm. You know, yeah, I'm not just closing my eyes and being like spiritually dragged into a particular direction. No, God uses so I've got I'm observing people, I'm watching people, I'm looking for faith. Just some quick examples of like different things that you look for. I remember once I prayed a sister true. I was just watching when Pastor called the altar call. This sister she was quiet, she's quiet. But when Pastor called the altar call for I saw her kind of like beeline to the she was almost pushing people out of the way. Mm. But then when she sat at the front, she was quiet. Sat in the front and knelt praying to herself 
and I was praying for other people and I just couldn't get that out of my head like there was desperation I yeah. could sense desperation mm-hmm. desperation results in faith so I asked another sister if they would pray do you mind asking if she'd pray for the Holy Ghost she went and asked her she said yes went and prayed two minutes later she's speaking in other tongues wow but uh, it was the way she went to the altar but when she was at the altar there was no signs there was nothing you know no drama no exuberant worship she was quiet but just so cause the way she was just pushing people out of the way to get there so that that's what I'm trying to, to, to observe is again you know people can pray at the front they're crying that's easy to okay God's moving on their life right exactly but other people are I ask them if I if they're not showing anything I ask them questions I try to sometimes I, I can sense it in their voice mm. you know that they're trying to hold back tears or I can see it in their eyes until you start it's not until you start asking them you know so if I've prayed for someone who wanted a healing I asked mm. them is there anything I could pray for it's ask for healing but I really felt like God was moving on their life I said I can pray for healing I can pray for healing you can walk out of your healed but then I can pray that you're filled with the spirit of the healer. It still met their need. They were they just didn't know how to articulate that they didn't need the Holy Ghost. Yeah. That's their way of asking. It's like the, you know, in the book of Acts when the lame man who was asking for arms, he was asking Peter and John and for arms, and they said, I don't have anything. All right, but silver and gold have our numbers, such as I have. Give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Stand up and walk. He didn't ask for healing. No, he didn't. But they can discern. They discerned what he needed and what he wanted. And him asking for arms was just his way of articulating that. Mm. So that's what I'm looking for when I'm talking. To, some people, they don't know, I want the Holy Ghost. They articulate it in different ways. So just picking up on that mm. and like, I know what you want, what you're asking for, but I know what you, what you really need. Right. And everyone needs the Holy Ghost, bro. You know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Is it okay to stop people when they're praying just to talk to them? Yeah, I always do that. Yeah, mm. I always do that because, again, like... You just need a bit of guidance. It's like a midwife. When someone's in labor, they're standing before them, and they, according to what they see and what they feel, they're giving instructions according yeah. to that. So that's why I stop people, just just directing them in the right way. But I, I always stop, yeah. You know, lead them through. Everyone's different. Everyone's different. Some people, like, explain to them from scratch. Some people are already worshiping, seeking after God, so I just kind of redirect, help maybe focus their prayer on worship yeah i think it's important to realize that you're not going to stop god from filling someone with the holy spirit just because you ask them a few questions yeah exactly. and and, and try and help exactly. them in fact uh as you've noted it's gonna help it's yeah, gonna make a exactly. big difference there's there's i always look at it this way there's three parties involved when praying someone through the Holy Ghost. there's yourself there's the person that needs the holy ghost and there's obviously god and his spirit out of those three we're the least important <laughs> we're the least important you know right. what I mean God's if someone is desperate desperately wants the Holy Ghost God's gonna fill them regardless so we, you know he just uses us we're actually privileged to play a part in that procedure yeah to be honest he could fill people with his spirit God chooses to use us mm. and that's a privilege to be used in that area yeah it's so good what are some things that we get wrong when it comes to altar work we don't have to go too deep into this but yeah, what are yeah, a yeah. few things here that I don't want to be too yeah, like I don't want to be too critical on people because a lot of people are sincere and diligent and they're stepping out and, and they want to pray for people they want to minister to people so I would just say um, 
you know, in this area of praying people through the Holy Ghost, I would just more advise people to to really seek after a burden. You have to be driven by a burden. You gotta. Mm. That's how it started. I asked Lord for the burden because I, when we were doing altar work, I was seeking the Lord and said, Lord, I don't want to do. I don't want to pray for the sake of praying for people. You know, I want my prayers to impact people. And I, and, I, and I was really sincere with that, really sought after the Lord. And then he laid it upon my heart and directed me, what greater impact can you have than people receive the gift of the Holy Ghost? Mm. But even if, you know, if they've got, if they've already got the Holy Ghost, but pray into their lives, you know, because I've heard many of your interviews and a lot of them, a lot of your interviews, you know, people have testified how one prayer, someone prayed for them. They were, they were, I think it was Brother Zuniga. Brother Zuniga, that yeah. said that he was on the verge of walking out of church. Yep. He gave an ultimatum. Yeah, and someone prayed for That's how powerful our mm-hmm. pr- the right prayer at the right time can make that kind of influence. And that's what I was seeking the Lord for. I just want to make it, like, I don't mind praying for people. I want to pray for people, but I want that kind of impact mm. where it changes the whole trajectory of someone's lives. And that's where the Lord was leading me in this area. But, yeah. They're very powerful, you know. It's 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 a it's a privilege to be able to pray for people. People come with their needs, you know. I just I think we have a responsibility to really speak into their lives, you know, and, and give them direction, strength, comfort, whatever it may be. Yeah, that that's so good. What do you say? And I, I've seen you do this, so I think it's important because many times this is an awkward moment when someone is really seeking after the gift of the Holy Ghost yeah. for a number of minutes. It could have been ten, fifteen minutes. They're really pressing trying to receive the Holy Ghost, and it just it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Or, you know, maybe they earnestly want the Holy Ghost, but they're just not quite ready. Yeah. And altar service ends, yeah. and you're kind of just standing around awkwardly yeah, with that when, person. When pastor starts to close off in prayer, I think to myself, ah, oh, I ran out of time. Yeah. <laughs> so what is it that you would say to that person? I, I think this is really important and yeah. something that we can all use moving forward. Because yeah. I've seen you have these conversations. What yeah. do you say? Well, I usually just encourage them. I celebrate the fact that for a lot of these people, it's like the first time they've ever worshipped like vocally and mm. opened up their mouths and worshipped God and lifted up their hands and even cried. That's a victory. Yeah, They've repented. Huge. Yeah, so I, I just celebrate. I just, I, all, all I do is I reinforce first and foremost that what they felt was the presence of God. I drilled that and that was the presence of God. That was, so during the week they're just meditating. Oh, that was an amazing experience. That was the presence of God. They know that they had an encounter with their presence of God. For some people, because everyone's different. For some people, they could be greens. <laughs> they could be melancholies. Maybe they 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 need more understanding. So they I try to encourage them to do Bible studies. You mm-hmm. know, get understanding. You know, faith come by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So. For some people, they need more Bible study. For other people, there's just there are things that are holding them back, shame, doubt. These are things I try to acknowledge while I'm praying for them, because if I'm praying for someone and I can sense that they're dealing with shame, the moment I acknowledge it, it the walls break. Mm. The walls break and mm. they let it down. It's like, so all I do is I just encourage them, because like I said, I'm the least important out of all those parties if someone doesn't receive the holy ghost that's between them and god right something's going on there Mm. something's going on there so i just acknowledge them i I just i just encourage them to keep seeking you know that's the presence of god that you feel yeah so i don't i don't go turn around be like oh they didn't um they didn't get the holy ghost Mm. i I lacked faith (laughs) people people don't receive the holy ghost that's 
multiple things. Yeah. You know? Um, they get it's it's an overwhelming experience seeking after the Holy Ghost. You know, someone thirty years old, used to speaking in their own language, and then here comes a moment where they're about to speak another language. You can understand why people hold back. Yeah. It's like, mm, yeah. What's that? But I think sometimes, in terms of, uh, I guess, when you ask what do we get wrong, I wouldn't say we get this wrong. It's just church culture is that we approach things through church goggles sometimes we fail to empathize what it's like for a guest hmm. you know for a first time guest coming out of their seat walking to the front is huge it's a, it's a sign it's of massive, faith yeah. that's faith we've got to capitalize on that faith. Mm. you know so that's what that, that's what I would say you know we, we expect people to know to raise their hands to worship and so just kind of maybe maybe if we, we if we empathize with what it's like Mm. I don't know what it was like the first time I was brought up Catholic bro you can hear a pin <laughs> drop you know and here I am sobbing at the front of a Pentecostal church you know that yeah. was a very overwhelming experience yeah. for me so we just well, understand that and like some people they're crying in front of a stranger like exactly. they don't know you at all and, exactly and they're crying they don't know why they're crying exactly um, but I think that's so good that through your encouragement that they leave the altar with a positive experience exactly. rather than a negative and oh, so yeah. It's not like it doesn't create a memory that keeps them from coming back yeah. to the altar. Yeah. It's like, hey, do you want to experience the presence of God again? Come to the altar exactly. and then ultimately they will be filled. Exactly. So if I if if this if the altar service is about to close, I always end with a prayer of thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord, for your presence that we feel in this place and let them know that at least they had an encounter with God. For a lot of these people, they didn't even know what the Holy Ghost is. Yeah. So they're not like disappointed. We're more disappointed because we know. Because we know. But they don't know. So. We know the eternal ramifications yeah. of what's taking place. Exactly. Yeah. Well, on top of uh, being an evangelist, you're also the disciple makers leader here sure. at the POS. So you're in charge of people who are teaching Bible studies. But beyond that, we don't call our Bible study teachers Bible study teachers. We call them Disciple makers, sure. and there's a reason for that. What What's the difference between a disciple maker and a Bible study teacher? Well, disciple maker, there's a lot of think of it as a as a recipe, a lot of ingredients that makes the the finished product. You know, and that's what it is. Making a disciple, being a Bible study teacher, and even though the department focuses on the foundational Bible studies, there's a lot of elements that go into making a disciple. You know, fellowship, praying for one another connecting that person to a ministry and serving in some mm-hmm. capacity. Yep. So there, there are all these these elements that contribute to um, making a disciple. But the this disciple-making departments that you said that I, I lead, we, we focus primarily on teaching Bible studies, the foundation, you know, because the Bible studies is the foundation. Mm-hmm. And from experience, from me first coming to the Lord and then falling, I felt I lacked that. Yeah, I lacked that foundation. Because of your work schedule. Yeah, yeah. I, f- I felt that I lacked that, that foundation. Everything else plays a part, but I think teaching Bible studies is very, very vital in building that foundation. Luke chapter 6, Jesus is talking about, likens it to a wise man who builds his, his house on a strong foundation. Mm. A man who, builds his, who, man who follows the word of God. When everything comes against it, it still stands. You know? And that's what we want. We want people to still still be standing after that's what i felt i felt like i didn't build that foundation and then back in 2005 when all these things were happening in my personal life i just collapsed mm. you know so 
But there are a lot of elements. Yeah, Bible Bible studies is one part of it, a vital part of it. We're building a foundation, but there are also other elements. You know, we've got to make sure we're connecting with our saints of God through connect groups, whatever it may be. That's a great thing that we've got. We've got a lot of ministries, you know, youth ministry that caters to different you know demographics. But yeah, that's what I would say. I would say there's other elements to making disciples, but Bible studies is very key and mm. building a foundation. So you're talking about how we have sort of some different ministries and so on, and and this isn't particular to the POS, but in general, how has church culture affected discipleship in a positive way or in a negative way? I would say that I would say our mindset is very defensive sometimes, and um, Brother Stan Gleason covers this in his in his book Follow to Lead. He says sometimes we we when someone is saved, right we we call them out. We tell them to come out from their community. We protect them. We nurture them. Right? We have to do that. They're newborns. But then we assimilate them to the church culture. And then they get connected with these other ministries. And then over time, we know that they lose that connection with their family and their friends. Mm. That's why we say new converts are always the best you know, witnesses because this is new and they're still connected. There. But then they get so assimilated into the church culture that all their friends are church friends, mm. you know? Yeah. So um, I would say that that would just be the, you know, if we, we read the Bible, right, there's, there's, there's a number of occasions where Jesus heals someone and then they say, I want to follow you. And he says, no, go back to your family and tell them about all the good works that I've done, mm. you know? Like he sends them back. So I think we could bring them out, nurture them, protect them, but then we've got to equip them and empower them to go back into that community and reach that community. Stan Gleason says, Brother Stan Gleason said, if everyone was like me, they would only reach the people I can reach. Mm. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why God has called us and at the time that he's called us to reach that community at that specific time. So I think that's just like in terms of discipleship, we think, you know, protect and it's always guard and defend that person, make sure that they're safe. But we're not empowering them to go back into their yeah, community. Yeah, we're, we're kind of like that parent who's a new parent or yeah. the helicopter parent that doesn't allow their kid to actually go out and, yeah, and exactly. possibly make mistakes or meet other kids because mm. they're just hovering over them. We, we met this family while we were in lockdown because he had to stay within a five-kilometer radius. So all of us parents with kids, we just hit up all of the parks mm. all, all around there during the lockdowns. And uh, we met this family, and I remember first time medium this lady she had a only child a daughter mm. and while her daughter was playing at the playground she was literally within two feet of her three feet of her the whole time okay. the whole time she's playing and ava ended up making friends with, with with the girl anyway but that can provide some sort of barrier there and helicopter parenting is not the best form of parenting because the kids at some stage need to learn independence exactly. they need to learn to be able to walk on their own they need to be they need to learn how to build relationships on their own. And that's something that my wife is constantly on me about because I don't want my daughter to experience anything negative. But the only way that you grow is sometimes through mm-hmm. those negative experiences. Exactly. And so I think that's a, that's a good illustration of, of what it's like when, when you make a disciple, at least in the beginning stages, you want, all you want to do is protect them. You don't mm-hmm. want them to, to fall out of love with the doctrine. You don't want them to make the mistake and fall back into sin and so it yeah. becomes so defensive and I think you're 100% correct that mm. sometimes it's too defensive mm. 
yeah, if we if we're doing our job properly, to be honest, like and we're we're grounding them, we're equipping them, empowering, giving them all the tools um, that they need to be a witness for Jesus Christ. We should have confidence in that. But it's like when I talk about praying for people with the Holy Ghost. If they mm. don't receive the Holy Ghost, I know it's it's something to do with them and God. That's between them and God. Eventually, that's got to be between them and God. Right. You know, yeah. when we send them back into the communities, like we can't be responsible all the time for them. You know, we've done what we're called to do, and and that's between them. That's the relationship they have with God. Some some go on to do great things. Some unfortunately fall away. But we can't control that. We we're only doing what we're called to do. You know, whether whether the the, the seed falls by the wayside, by the thorns, or on good ground, we still got to do what we're got to do on in in the foundational stages. Mm. And it's, it's what happens after that is between them and God. You yeah, know, we we still have, we still cry out for them. You know, our hearts are broken when people turn their backs on God. But that's between them and God again. Yeah, you know? and and like a good parent, obviously you're going to keep the relationship going. You've got that relationship that you've built through the disciple making process but as you said at some point that person has to go off on their own still with the relationship so don't don't think we're saying that you don't you, you forget the relationship no we need to that's part of making disciples you have that lifelong relationship yeah. but at some point they've got to be able to stand on their own two feet of course and then them being able to go out leads to more people being able to yeah. hear the gospel as opposed yeah. to Every person that we win is just barricaded in the church, and and no one is hearing the good news. Exactly. I want to finish off with this. This is one of the questions that I ask pretty much every person who comes on the podcast. What is it that drives you when it comes to ministry? Well, besides the obvious, being called to do it, Mm -hmm. besides being driven by a purpose that's given to you by God, I would say I'm always thankful. You know, we, we can't be thinking about every moment in our life every life experience of every moment that we have you know we just don't have that bandwidth you know we're, we're doing things and i'm just so thankful that sometimes when you're talking to someone you're ministering to someone and god brings up this thing that you have it's not like you've you, you're not grateful for but you've just forgotten about it's mm-hmm. an experience that ministers to that person and you just see their spirit kind of light up so what drives me is like it's pretty it's crazy to think that you can go through something tomorrow, an experience tomorrow, a trial, whatever it may be. God could show you something tomorrow that is setting up to minister to someone who walks into church five years from now. Mm. It's filled with the Holy Ghost. And then 10 years from that moment, they're in ministry and they're going through things. And then they come to you and you start sharing to them about that thing that happened tomorrow before that God had set up before they even walked through the doors. Mm. That's what drives me is knowing that I hear some a lot of testimonies from people that go through, uh, even myself, like like I've already shared, when I fell away from the Lord, my whole life fell apart, my marriage fell apart. But And I dealt with a lot of shame early on when I came back, like divorced and all this sort of stuff. But I can minister to people that other people can't minister to and haven't gone yeah. through that. You know what I mean? Hmm. So my life experience, that's what drives me is knowing that whatever I'm going through will minister to someone that hasn't even heard of this church. Mm. Yeah, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, that's th- deep, bro. Yeah, that's what, that's what drives me is knowing that God uses 
every experience experiences that we've forgotten about sometimes mm. people brought up is just like i forgot about that mm. <laughs> but that's ministering to someone in that particular time yeah and it brings alive that the scripture all things work together exactly for good to them that love god to them who are the called oh, according to his purpose amen. it doesn't just work together for good for every single person exactly. but it's for those who love god and are called amen, amen. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, for joining us today. I like to conclude these conversations by giving uh, our guests the opportunity to share a word with the listeners. So again, thank you for setting time aside today for joining us on the podcast. And if you wouldn't mind sharing a word with the listeners as we uh, go out from here. Amen, amen. Well, thanks for uh, again for having us and making this as comfortable as possible. <laughs> You were right. After a few minutes, you know, we we we, we felt comfortable, or well, I did anyway. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just want to leave you with this with this thought. Second Chronicles seven fourteen says, very familiar passage of scripture. If my people who are called by my name shall hum- humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. The scripture gives us clear directions to pray and seek after the face of God. Mm. And I've heard a preacher declare that it's possible to pray without seeking after the face of God. Mm. And that's so true. And you know, sometimes we go through the motions with our prayer life, and sometimes we're seeking the hand of God rather than the face of God. And um, I'm always drawn to this story in Acts chapter 9. It's a story of Ananias, and this is just after Saul of Tarsus has his road to Damascus experience and he's blinded. And... Jesus calls out to to Ananias and nothing's written about him before chapter 9, nothing before or after. Mm. And the Bible refers to him as a certain disciple, like nothing fancy, no crazy stories, no great exploits, miracles done by him. But Jesus talks to him clearly. And it's it's obvious from their conversation that Jesus knows Ananias Mm. and Ananias knows Jesus. Now, Ananias, we don't know anything else but the fact that Jesus called Ananias to go reach out to Paul, mm. right? And we know that Paul does great things for God. And he writes two-thirds of the New Testament, and he documents a lot of the things that he's experienced, conversations with God, and, and all these sorts of stuff. But I'm always drawn to, like, Ananias, someone who we, we've... I believe God's used us mightily. I still haven't heard the audible voice of God. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? In mm. that sense. Mm. So I leave with this word of encouragement that, you know, I believe with all my heart that Ananias sought after the face of God. Otherwise, he wouldn't have a conversation like that with Jesus. And we know that Paul goes on to do great things for God. And I just want to encourage you listeners that whether we're called to be a Paul or whether we're called to be an Ananias, to do great things like Paul did or whether just to serve the Bible says that God called Ananias, because he was in Damascus. There was a need in Damascus. Your call, God's got a purpose for you in your community. There's a need in your community, in your family, and God's called you because you're there. Mm. So whether you're called to do great things like Paul, travel the world, plant churches, or just to serve in your community, we're all called to seek after the face of God. Doesn't matter what end of the spectrum that we're, God's called us in terms of tasks and purposes but God has called us all whether you're crèche you're doing crèche leading Sunday school a greater general superintendent <laughs> a great pastor 
either way, we're called to seek after the face of God.